You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the games edition. A gaming podcast for people who want honest opinions by freaks with nothing better to do with their time. Here's Roger and his crew. Alright, so some of the, I think the biggest news that we got this week is Bill Roper leaving Cryptic Studios. Now, we were talking about that earlier, and we didn't go into detail too, too much. I was talking to Joe about this, and I don't know, I've got my own theories. I have theories as well. You have some. I'm quite certain that everybody's got theories about this. Of course. Because you have people who are in the love and the people who are in the hate camps. For Bill, there doesn't seem to be a lot of in-between with him. Now, looking at the two products that he's worked on as well, too, in terms of success... They're not doing that phenomenally, especially Star Trek Online, at least not nearly as good as one would have hoped they'd be doing. So, I mean, again, you can come up with a lot of different theories here. His letter kind of left it open, the, the letter to the community in terms of wanting to get out and do something different. I'm, I'm quite certain that he wasn't pushed out the door. That being said, though, is he leaving a sinking ship or a severely crippled and you know, drowning ship, or what do you think happened, Joe? Well, let's look at it this way. The last time the a ship went down and, and Bill stayed on, you know, as the good captain that he was, he got a lot of shit from every which way, with which up to included personal threats and questioning of his sexuality, among other things. So he kind of already has a bad taste in his mouth when something's failing that, you know, yeah, he can be the, the guy and, and bail everybody out and he can be the last one there to close up shop and, you know, try to save face or he could just get while the getting's good. Well, see, Cryptic a... isn't his baby as exactly. opposed to, um, God damn it, what was the other studio? The one that he... Flagship. Flagship, exactly. Whereas, <laughs> man, aneurysm on the first day. Um, but yeah, no, Flagship was his baby. They just, they started it from the ground up And so it was a much different kind of experience than he's having now with Cryptic because Cryptic is not his baby. He just went there for a job. So there's no sense of having to stay there to see it go down. Not to imply that it's going down, but with Star Trek, come on, let's think about it. Well, the other thing, too, you got to keep in mind is even though he was the chief creative officer, most of the creative endeavors were already in place. So by the time he took over the office, there really wasn't a whole lot he can do, even though he probably wanted to do quite a bit. And I'm sure he had a very, very large vision for these games and how to make them successful, how to give back to the community and make them great games, as well as how to grow the the cryptic brand in a positive light as opposed to a negative light. But one has to wonder, it's like, it's like becoming the president after eight years of fail. You're going to be going uphill no matter what you do. You know, it's going into any management position after the person before you completely wreck the store or completely wreck the thing that you have to spend all of your time repairing it. It comes to a point where you're not really doing the job that you were hired for at that point. Uh, you are essentially going to uh, burn out. I really, I mean, it, it just at a certain point, it's like, well, I can keep fighting uphill and keep trying to save this and salvage this, or I could go maybe find something else where I could have that creative input from day one. Now, let's think about this again, though. We've been mentioning the uh, Champions Online as well as Star Trek Online. However, he was going to be put in charge of the new MMO, was he not? 
rumors have been circulating that he actually was not put in charge of the new MMO. That but that's just station, rumors. The actual last written word about it was that he was going to, correct? That he was going to, but no official statement whether or not he has was made. Well, obviously now he's not. Again, right. it's, 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 it's all speculation at this point, whether we think that he's jumping ship to something better or just to get the hell away from a franchise that's, especially Star Trek Online, that's well, simply not doing as well as it should let, be. Let, let's look at it another way, too. I mean, he's been doing this for a very, very long time, really. You have to take a look at that. Maybe he just wants a fucking vacation. Maybe he just wants to be done for a while. You got to take that into consideration, too. As much passion as you have for these games, when you start doing it for a living, it's a whole different animal. So, I mean, it is. It's all speculation. And, you know, Bill, whatever you're doing out there, buddy, Godspeed to you. <laughs> because, you know, you know, have a couple beers, drink with the Bowdy Boys, whatever you got to do. But, you know, give, give us word what you're doing at some point, man. I don't know. Let See, us, the, the, taking a taking a vacation, though, that I can't buy. That I can't buy that somebody who's devoted to his craft ah. and to the game that he's working on needs a vacation. If that's the case, then you take two weeks off paid holidays and you come back I'm, and you work. I'm just saying I'm throwing it out there as, as one of the possible theories, man. That's all. Right. Again, it's see, all the, theories. The way I see it, we've seen increasingly these days some game companies that just don't quite get it. There's this divide between the game people and the business people. And if they're not capable of communicating in a good manner, you see th situations like this where you see games that have a good creative vision but seem to be handcuffed by some questionable business decisions. And I, I think that might be some of this, again, pure conjecture. But when he said that he, you know, working for Cryptic was starting to uh, kindle his entrepreneurial spirit again and how he wanted to go, you know, kind of do his own thing again, it's almost as if he's sitting there going, man, I have all these great ideas that, you know, the company kind of won't work with won't me. Listen with. I can do this yeah. better myself. So eventually you just got to put your money where your mouth is and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but see, what I took from that is the way that he was talking almost made it sound as if he wanted to start up his own company again, a la Flagship. Mm -hmm. and oh, yeah, has enough time passed since Flagship that the people are going to forgive Flagship and holding, hold him up on his own merits right now. I think so. I think we can look at Max Schaefer and that crew and see that they're doing fine despite flagships uh, sinking, yeah, yeah, pun intended. Um, but we can then take a look at this and say, well, Bill's had a few successes under his belt. He got to work for another big company. Yeah, I think enough time has passed that he could. But And see, that's a, a, a double standard that we're seeing, that whereas Bill is getting hammered for a lot of what's going on, granted some of that is right now with what has been going on with Champions Online and Star Trek Online, more so STO. But whereas the... like. The, the, the Runic boys really have been getting nothing but praise and not as much of the, Hate. the, the that hatred from the flagship days. Granted, I mean, they were there. It's the same crew. And part of that has to be because, again, Torchlight came out, was a fantastic success, and they proved that they can do good. So if Bill comes out with a new company, comes out with a phenomenal new product that isn't going to disappoint... Can he redeem his name enough that everybody will be willing to trust in his name? It all depends on the quality of the product. Bottom and that's line, a if he tough releases one. a good game, people will be behind him. If he releases a crappy game, people will, you know, pitchforks yeah. and torches again. Basically, yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, QuakeCon, which just ended. And 
I think that the coolest thing that came out at QuakeCon was seeing Rage announced for the iPhone running at 60 freaking frames per second. How awesome is that? And I mean, it looked freaking awesome. I'm actually going to play it for the people in the live audience here so they can watch it. But the uh, after this freaking stupid ad, um, but I mean, it looks really great. And you can imagine what they're going to do with the this engine to be able to present something on the especially the, the iPhone 4 as well as the iPad. It looks freaking amazing. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, I mean, it doesn't have the mind blowing like outdoor areas that we saw in the E3 demos on the Xbox. But still, this, this shouldn't be possible on a phone. Yeah, and now Rage got uh, um, the date revealed as well. We found out that it's going to be coming out, when do we see? Yeah, September of 2011, they're talking about. And this is going to be coming out before that. And then, but it's just going to be, it's not going to be the full version of the game. The full version of the game is coming out as well on the phone in September of, well, not full version, but you know what I mean, uh, September of 2011. But I mean, again, looking at what they are able to do with the iPhone iPad is absolutely stunning. And the fact that as he's talking about it too, um, while he's doing the demo, what's his name? Uh, blah, 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 Carmack. John Carmack is talking about how the controls on the iPad are so intuitive just to be able to touch and scan around and to look at everything. And when you're looking at the detail in what they've created, it is absolutely awesome. I am actually impressed with the mobile, with the way that mobile computing is, is essentially being used for gaming now. I mean, before it was nothing more than I can check my email, I can check, you know, a couple websites or I can play with Twitter. Now it's, it's really coming into its own as a mobile, as a gaming platform, uh, especially when you consider funny little things like the current version of the iPhone 4 has more uh, RAM than an iPad. You know, you, you got to start wondering how much they're actually going to cram into these things to make games like this more efficient, uh, but also just kind of expand what they can do. You know, so it's it's nice to see stuff like this, you know, getting born essentially on these platforms and, and to see a little more... Uh, a little more depth added to these these handhelds. Well, I'm really looking forward to the next version of the iPad that will have more memory and everything so that yes. it can do even more because as it is, I'm holding off on a lot of, a lot of games until they are actually out on the iPad, kind of like Chaos Rings, whoo, out on the iPad now, um, just because it is a phenomenal gaming device because of the touch controls, depending on how the game is created, if it's done in such a way that it takes that into consideration and doesn't just toss a, a type of thumb pad that you have to mess around with kind of thing. But if it's well done, it's freaking awesome because then you have the ability to touch control how you're doing your game, how you're playing which, like again, John was saying during this demo, is very cool. The tactile sensation of being able to scroll around and look around you just with a simple touch. And it, it's especially with the multi-touch is phenomenal. To be able to swing around and, and target to, to shoot and things like that is, is awesome. On this little freaking handheld device that you can bring with you wherever. So I have nothing but love with any for anybody who is taking the device as far as it can to create games like this, and I'll buy them on the iPad long before I'll buy a DS or a PSP version. Well, yeah, you got to get your money's worth after spending that, you know, getting that nice little toy. I'm getting my money's worth from all the freaking comic books, dude. 
<laughs> awesome. This is the comic book reader of all ages. Um, we also found out about uh, Brink pre-orders. Now they're going to be, uh, they were saying that pre-orders through, I want to say GameStop. Yeah, GameStop and Best Buy. You'll be able to get themes that are going to be either from Fallout 3 or from Doom, which actually the Fallout 3 one looked pretty freaking cool. I was I was kind of impressed with that. I don't know. Are, are either you really inter- interested in Brink? I know that I am, actually. Moderately. I really, yeah, I hadn't really looked that much into it until we were going to talk about it today. And the game seems cool. Like, it's a it's a nice amalgam of a lot of themes and ideas we've seen before. And if it can be pulled off, it looks like it'll be a really fun game. But we're back to the, the retailer-exclusive pre-orders that you know, I, I don't want to talk about those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they make me angry. Well, see, the thing is, at this point here, I, I'm I'm really interested in it. I'm interested in the new kind of gameplay mechanics that they're tossing into Brink that we haven't seen in other games yet, which is going to keep it very fast-paced, going to keep it something wherein it actually matters to hold your objectives, where, as opposed to just not playing like a team and doing whatever the crap you want. There's a lot going into this game that I really like. The, the, the graphics are unbelievable so that's 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 a pro it's it's something that i am very very interested in in playing um but again the pre-order crap for a costume as much as i i'm interested in the game i'm not that interested in the game i actually am considering waiting till it's out for maybe a week get the uh the word from everybody in terms of what they think and then go from there well, that's where I stand. It's like I'm not I'm not foaming at the mouth to get a game like this. I mean, it has the potential to be pretty awesome, but I'd rather wait. I really would. I'd rather wait and see what everybody else says about it. I got to say, though, they, they've picked a great launch window for it coming up in uh, spring 2011, because this fall we're getting Halo Reach, Call of Duty Black Ops and the new Medal of Honor. So by around springtime, all the shooter kitties are going to be looking for something new. And this shiny little box is going to be on the shelf with all these new uh, things that a lot of shooter fans really haven't seen before. Well, see, that's what we need to see more of people releasing the games in different times, uh, at different times, as opposed to in the freaking fall. Everybody wants to release their awesome games in the fall. And yes, there's oh, yeah, a Christmas. certain break. Well, no, it's not even Christmas because it's long before Christmas that they release these suckers. I mean, we're seeing awesome games coming out in September and October. That's not Christmas sales. That's just because it's the fall. But I mean, mm-hmm. again, release a game when there's a lull when nobody else is releasing them so that people are like, yes, I'm desperate for something different to play right now. And I'm thinking that's going to be brink for some people. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that they definitely need to have uh, better time slots to, to release the stuff. And I'm happy to see that brink will be doing that. But I would argue with you that Christmas shopping for most people does start around September. You know, that's when the advertisements start coming up and things like that. And that's where these game companies really push because not only are they getting ready for the holiday season, they're also getting ready for the back to school season, which is huge for the gamers because your, your primary gaming market tends to be college students. You know, it's not the, the little kids, but these are the college students which have some disposable income. But yes, I would love to see it spread out more often because Look at look at us. How many games have we had that we've you know scrounged about four or five at the exact same time because they were all these awesome games when it would have been a lot fun, a lot more fun for my wallet to have them spread out. Just well, not just fun for the wall, fun for the freaking not being able to sleep, you know, like <laughs> have a little free time in the day. Like, again, look at what's coming out this fall that we're dying to play. There's not going to be a lot of sleep going on there. 
Yep. Or time well, for other things. Well, I'll well, make we time for some... the other things. Those <laughs> other things are important. Well, we saw some of that this year with Mass Effect 2 and Final Fantasy 13 and Bioshock 2 releasing in the spring this year. But yeah, Joe does have a good point about the the September games really being Christmas games. And actually, a September game is a better Christmas game than, say, a November game is because Halo Reach, for example, can come out in September and get all of the new release sales at $60. And this is from a retailer point of view, because, again, the manufacturer pretty much gets their price all the time. Mm -hmm. And then they can turn around and sell that same game in November for $10 less, $35, $40, still make money. The game still gets the sales numbers for it. The publisher doesn't matter how much the retailer sold it for. So they can sell more copies in that Christmas season by releasing a couple months earlier. Yep. Because they make it more economical. Yeah, they make it more economical for that later, those later shoppers. I still don't like it. That's it. It's simple as that. I still don't like it. God damn it. It's, it's for one of the things that we've been talking about with the new site that we're doing is the blue collar gaming. We're in, we're talking about not just having a time budget or a money budget, but also the, the budgeted time, budget. time. And for those of us who are adults with kids and without kids, even with full time jobs, you're. Gaming time is limited. I hate the freaking fall season. I should be reveling in it, wanting it so badly, looking forward to it. I don't. I don't. It drives me nuts. Because not just that, but now I have to feel bad about the games that I'm abandoning from the summer that I wanted to play. So, anyways, uh, what else we got this week? We got Clap Trap's new Robot Revolution, which <laughs> yes. is awesome. New DLC for Borderlands. Now, I know that a lot of people have stopped playing Borderlands, which is cool. I actually still bouncing into it every once in a while. I I have nothing but love for this game. I I still do. There's I know that a lot of people had issues with it initially in terms of connecting and playing together and blah blah, blah and all that crap. And with a couple of tweaks I got that fixed. I love the freaking game. So whenever I'm seeing this new DLC, which this one looks awesome. Okay, this one is it's taking that tongue in cheek approach to it with a character that we all love and I can't wait to play this case in point again due out in September. But yeah, this looks freaking awesome. I say bravo because this actually makes me want to reinstall the game and I have not had any desire to reinstall that game for a very long time, but the 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 the, the idea behind this is awesome. What really sold me was the uh, the claptrap modded beasts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crab traps, rack traps, and skag traps. I just can't wait to see what else claptrap has like you know melded itself onto, and that just right there. I have to see what this is. Like I am just it's like curiosity. I don't care if it burns my hand. I need to touch it. I need to see what it is. Definitely I the best see, DLC. I want to see like a psycho midget claptrap dancing. <laughs> well, and, think about, and think about it this way too okay at the end of the first game and if anybody calls us a spoiler i will stab you through the internet but you, you see the the satellite you know infect claptrap all right right off the bat maybe something will actually come of that here which is awesome yeah claptrap <laughs> is like this infected monstrosity of a beast that has gone through and all the all the claptraps that you went through and rescued are now like trying to kill you oh so. it killed me that <laughs> claptrap might be the final boss in this dlc that the that final boss that you're playing through, die. they're they're saying here there's there's 22 mission, 20 new missions, um the the beast like they were saying more skill points, more backpack slots, and uh, ten more loot, blah blah blah. But 
if they make the final boss that you have to kill for this DLC be a big ass claptrap that you got to kill, oh, dude, <laughs> I'm all over that. Like a hobo on a ham sandwich, I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely there. I, I will definitely reinstall this game and, and play this. I have to at this point. All right, what else do we hear? We heard about some Star Wars, The Old Republic, where they were talking about uh, space combat and what we can expect. Now, whereas a lot of people were kind of approved of the fact that it's not going to be a complete sandbox feel, I I don't know. To me, it still feels like it's going to be a little too guided in terms of what you can expect when you're in your ship. You're not going to have the opportunity to just kind of roam around. You are going to have specific objectives that you're going to have to do and paths, which is going to feel very much like mass effect though even then mass effect you still got to bounce around where you want it but you were limited in terms of it wasn't full sandbox you're going from a to b or a to c and that's it you're not going to wander around and anything in between well i i disagree there because they said that the space combat you're going to unlock various hot spots where you can go into the tunnel shooter as you progress through the game that doesn't necessarily mean that there still won't be a full space exploration side of it just that the combat side of it is going to be guided Hmm. Yeah, there's space combat. Combat won't be free. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have to see it to see because the impression that I got, again, this whole tunnel shooter mentality that they keep talking about, to me, makes it feel much more like you are going to be guided from where it is that you're going, not so much wander about aimlessly. You know, I would like the opportunity to. Again, say what you will about Star Trek The Old Republic, or sorry, Star Trek uh, Online. Um, I like being able to kind of wander around and see what's out there and kind of bounce in. I'd like it to look better than Star Trek Online, but uh, to be able to kind of like fly around and, oh, look, there's a galaxy, of a planet or whatever, and bounce down into it. I would like to see that in The Old Republic, but I don't know if that's asking for too much at this point. I think it is, and I think you have to keep in in mind sort of scope, right? I mean, they're already creating an entire universe, and every time the, a Star Wars game comes out, they try to expand the universe, whether it's uh, different races, different backstories, filling in gaps, whatever the case is. But to populate that entire universe in an MMO takes a lot of time, and it's something that a game company that has been doing it for a long time will we'll go back with EVE Online – uh, even though they've been doing this for a long time, they're still constantly adding and changing more. There's always more regions to explore, more different sectors to be in, so on and so forth. You gotta, you gotta put a cap on it at some place because eventually that's going to take it has the potential to take the focus away from that ground combat, which that's where the story of Star Wars really takes place. I mean, the Old Republic is is massive battles between Sith and Jedi or light side, dark side, whatever you want to call it as well as these covert missions to infiltrate bases, to find, you know, X, Y, Z, to do X, Y, Z. But it's it's not, I'm flying through space. It's, I fly through space to get to this planet, I drop to the planet, and now the real mission begins. So you, they have to put a, a certain limitation on it, otherwise that part of the game will just take over. It has that potential to just take over and completely run as a separate game in and of itself, which we've already seen happen. I mean, look at how bad the divide was, and we'll use Star Trek Online as the example. How bad the divide was between how the game felt in the ground and how it felt in the air 
You know, there was this, it was almost like playing a completely different game. It felt completely different. But with this, we already know what they have planned it for us on the ground. They already know, we already know the the type of depth we're going to have for the voice acting, the quests and things like that. And to see something that could potentially pull people away from that or to pull, more importantly, developer focus away from that in order to accommodate another aspect of the game you have to put a limit on it, otherwise stuff like that's going to happen. Yeah, but then you run the risk of running into the same problems that Star Trek Online had, wherein the ground missions were obviously what was tacked on. The space mission was a ton of fun when it wasn't just repetitive. But then the ground stuff felt completely tacked on. So here we're going to have the complete flip side of that, where the ground stuff is going to feel like what was initially planned as the game, and the space missions, because of how restricted they are, is going to feel like it was the tacked on bit which is exactly what we felt with the ground missions with Star Trek Online. So basically, it has the potential of feeling like it's going to feel far too restrictive and tacked on, just, again, the flip side of what STO was. Then let me, let me, let me kind of approach this from a different angle, okay? How many times have you gone to the arcade and you sat down at House of the Dead 1, 2, 3, 4, 5,000 and you've played through it and it's got a compelling story but it's still a rail shooter? Did you, How many times did you sit down and load up the uh, Umbrella Chronicles okay, and, and play through that? It's got a compelling story and a great little story to it but it's still a rail shooter. You can do these guided combat missions as restrictive of that and still make them fun. But to open them up a little bit, to give you a little exploration, to let you fly around the universe and get to these quarters, fine, I can accept that. But to to make that part of the game so robust that it could overshadow the other part of the game, I mean, let's not forget, this was tacked on. This was tacked on uh, because of the people just bitching and moaning and pissing and saying, I want space combat, I want space combat, I want space combat. Eventually they said, okay, well, we'll find a way to put it in there. If it's a rail system, if those rails are really well done and that corridor between planets is like this massive attack that's this huge cinematic experience which they have said cinematic battle sequences in that interview as well um then i'm okay with it i'm okay with it being limited i'm okay with it being this this sort of tunnel scope because then it becomes a vehicle to get you from point a to point b as opposed to its own monstrosity but again we'll go right back to star trek online you're not getting my point which is that's exactly what the ground missions are in star trek online and look at how much we hate those it's the same bloody thing now i'm now with Bioware may very well do a better job of that. I'm, I'm going to bet. No offense, Cryptic, but I'm going to bet that Bioware can do a much better job at this. But in the end, it's the same thing. You're going to see that when you're looking at your map, that blackout ridge that you can't go to because it's not developed, you're going to feel that claustrophobic feel of being trapped in. This is all we want you to see and experience, which if done properly, I agree. Yes, can be good. However, we've seen it done poorly where it does have very much that feeling of being tacked on and not and, and taking away from the main game. Right. But what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be that. And what I'm saying is if they approach it such as that it is a vehicle to get from, you know, your story point to story point where it's well thought out, it's well developed, but it is that sort of restrictive. Let's say you are on the Kessel Run, for Christ's sake. So let's just let's go ahead and throw that out there. Kessel Run Kessel Run's pretty much a linear event that you go from point A to point B. It's very easy to do that and not make it feel like it's tacked on, but still keep it within a certain limitation. Star Trek Online split itself. 
it split itself into two very distinctly different directions and suffered for it. The space combat was a lot of fun, but the ground missions, like you said, they felt tacked on. And that's because they couldn't really pull in two directions like that and make a success. When you, when you start dividing your focus on anything, anything at all, you start failing. You start you start having trouble. You start having difficulty with it. And I think BioWare is smart enough to avoid that. And I think that they're going to approach this with that same mentality of saying, we don't want to fail. We'll give you guys that, that cookie, but we're not going to you know let every other aspect of the game suffer as a result. So I do have faith in them for that. But it's like it depends on how they're going to do it. If they make a, a, a perfectly free roam system, I think that will make the system suffer. If they leave it as sort of a uh, a vehicle to say, you know, you hop on a transport or you hop on your, your starship and you're going from like Alderaan to Corellian or whatever, you know, that's fine. I can understand stuff like that, but I just I don't want to see I don't want to see this game that I have so much already Hope invested for. in just so <laughs> emotional much investment in. yes. <laughs> just to splinter and fail because it's pulling itself in too many directions and i think that bioware will be smart enough not to do that and if anything they can just look at other companies and learn from their mistakes <clears throat> cryptic yeah right. vince yeah, you got I'm, anything I'm, to add <laughs> i'm not a, i'm not a game developer but even i can see that it's got to be simpler and more time and cost effective to to deliver a very well done, very polished rail shooter than it is to spend all the time and money in developing this huge open world. Now, again, we haven't said that there isn't going to be an open world, just that there's not going to be any open world ship combat wherein you have camera and control and physics and any number of other issues you have to take into mind. Whereas if you know this is point A, this is point B, let's make everything in between as good and as well done as we can. It's it's a way to deliver potentially a more polished experience that the fans are going to enjoy. See, I feel bad for Cryptic here because I'm going to come back to Cryptic once again <laughs> and say <laughs> I'm quite certain that's what they planned with Star Trek Online. When they were thinking about the, sh the, the ground missions, they were thinking we'll create a rail system where the person can only go from point A to B and can't really explore too far, but we're going to make it awesome. It will be awesome. They will be engaged. They'll feel like they're in epic battles against the Klingons and the freaking other dudes, and they're going to feel fantastic. Fantastic. This is going to be great. All right. Yeah. See, when you say Star Trek Online and Epic, Vince loses it. He can't contain himself. He has to laugh. But see, what I'm thinking is, is that, again, this is what they thought was going to happen. And they had the oh, best sorry. of intentions. <laughs> they thought this is going to work. We're going to make it a real system. It's going to be still very epic. They're going to feel like they are just freaking saving the universe one Klingon at a time. It didn't work. What wound up happening is that you found yourself feeling very claustrophobic and it was not fun. That that imaginary wall where there's nothing but blackness on the other side didn't work. So now is that what we're going to feel with this? Now, it's all well and good to say, well, that's cryptic and this is going to be Bioware and it's different. Maybe it will. It's possible. But all I'm saying is that it stands the, the to reason that it's very possible that the same thing will happen here with this because it is, again, it's exactly the same, only flip the, the ground missions versus space missions. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a hard time feeling that that Bioware is going to fail so epically. All right. Well, that's because they're Canadian. 
They, they can't <laughs> fail. They're made of win, and that's all there is to it. Now, the other news that we got in regards to BioWare and Star Wars The Old Republic, more importantly, was the announcement of the advanced classes for the Jedi Knight. Now, we're seeing where they're talking about both the, da-da, what are we talking about here, the Sentinels and the, what's the other one, the Guardians, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to actually play this for the folks who are watching so they can watch. And I'll make it a little bit bigger for y'all because it's freaking awesome. It's very cool. I got, you got to love their freaking trailers because <laughs> nothing makes you want to play a Bioware game more than their trailers that they put out. Uh, and this actually contains a lot of in-game footage as well, which is fun to see. Now, there's really, I didn't think much of a surprise here in terms of the advanced classes. You're either going to be a support class hanging back a little bit more or you're going to be DPS. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you guys felt that there was any surprise here at all. Nope. And well, I mean, go ahead, Vince. I, I got to say a little bit because it's showing us that now we're going to have two completely different tanks on the Republic side with a potential melee tank in the Guardian and the range tank in the Retrooper. See, I didn't see the Guardian as being that much of a tank. I saw him more as a support class, not as much of a tank. Well, if you go into the uh, the holocron or whatever they call it and read the more detailed description of the Guardian, it talks about how they are capable of gaining the attention of the enemies to protect their weaker allies. Yes, I, I will say that, that I did see that as well. OK, OK, OK. I actually didn't go through all of the uh, the holocraft stuff, but um, OK, well, that's good then. And see, that's something that we've figured should be coming simply because you've got the trooper acting as a tank on the republic side versus the what will no doubt be the sith warrior acting as the tank on the empire side which didn't make sense i found it interesting i thought it was great that you're seeing um that it's not polar opposites of each other but here we're seeing where perhaps it will be polar opposites where again your 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 jedi will be able to tank yeah, so and now we have this... to wonder if perhaps the empire is going to get some sort of range tank and what class it's going to be because i don't think the bounty hunter would function terribly well as a tank <laughs> well and that's that's the thing. I think, and now we're starting to talk more about game design than we are story here. Um, I mean, you to a certain degree, you have to have an equity bes- between sides. Otherwise, you create a, you have the potential to create a rather large disparity. Um, I'll use WoW as an example here. And a lot of people hated this, but when they, when they made shamans and paladins for both sides, it was bringing both sides to sort of an, an equitable balance. So you're, I have a f- sneaking suspicion that we will see a class defined as a ranged tank on the dark side and we'll have a class defined as a, a melee tank for, you know, and our, our, our Sith warrior, you know, and then we're going to have the same thing opposite on the Republic, Republican side or the, I'm um, sorry, the Republic side, because, well, that's what they need. They need to have some of those things be consistent. You, I mean, each side's always going to have a healer, right? They're, they're going to have to have something that can heal. Each side's going to have strikers, these DPSers. That's going to happen, and both sides are going to have tanks. Now, whether it's a melee tank or a range tank, that will make a big difference. And yeah, that, I think that... Go ahead. Uh, I said that that was something that was missing from the WoW split, where at least here you can have these various classes that are going to fulfill the same role, but in vastly different approach. Mm-hmm. 
See, and I think that's very cool. The fact that you're be you're going to be able to choose whether or not you want to be a tank, but then from there, you get to decide not just which class you want to be as a tank, but also what style of tank do you want to be? Do you want to be an up-close-and-personal melee tank, or do you want to be a ranged tank? That is adding a whole layer of depth to tanking that we haven't seen for a while. Also, it adds another layer of strategy for group composition and, and for group play as well. Big because a, rain, a range tank, how it keeps aggro and how it keeps things away from it will play into uh, how the group reacts to it. Like if you have a bunch of ranged, it's not going to matter. You can do whatever you want with it. But if you start having a melee in the group, is the range tank going to have things to keep things rooted so that your melee can get in there? Is it going to have, or is the melee going to be, you know, running around? So. Yeah, very awesome. Now, keeping in with Bioware, we had some more news, though some of this disappointing in terms of Dragon Age Origins 2. Or it won't be Dragon Age Origins, I guess, but maybe it will. I don't know, whatever. Um, it's, it, we, we heard about how they're talking about the PC version of Dragon Age 2 and what we can expect, I guess Dragon Age Origins 2, sorry, uh, and what we can expect in terms of no aerial view as well as no tool set to be able to develop mob mods. Now that is really pissing off a lot of people and I got to tell you quite honestly, I'm in that camp. Not in terms of the mods, though I have enjoyed playing some of the mods, but I haven't played a ton of them simply because it takes a long time, like that's what they're saying here too, it takes a long time to develop really awesome mods. So what we're seeing is a lot of the smaller stuff, which is, it has still been very, very good and I've enjoyed them. But in terms of the tactical camera view and being able to have that style of play versus the Mass Effect style of play, I'm really disappointed. I know that they were planning this for console, but now it looks like they're going to be butchering the PC version as well. I'm very, 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 uh, I want to say, I don't want to say upset, but disappointed, I think is a good word. Um, I, I kind of saw it coming, though, when they started talking about how they're changing Dragon Age Origins to uh, format, so to speak. I didn't expect there to be a tool set, a toolkit. I fully expected this to be Mass Effect medieval style, and that's exactly what it's going to be. They're going to start really. I have a feeling that the, the, this game is going to start releasing all sorts of various weapon packs and and weird little DLCs that have nothing to do with anything aside from just armor and weapons, and it's not going to be quite the <laughs> It's not going to be quite the same experience that we kind of expected from this huge immersive story. While I think the game will still be fun and I will still play it, I'm a little let down that, you know, the game is, is essentially going to be Mass Effect 2.5. Well, I want to go into a little bit more detail about this because uh, this is all from a magazine interview over in France and how when he was talking about the lack of the isometric camera, he, uh, who is this, Mike Laidlaw, their lead designer, was talking about how developing textures for two completely different camera styles would be too expensive and that they wanted to focus on their target audience. Well, I thought the target audience for Dragon Age Origins was the PC and not the consoles because the consoles got a crappy version of the game. The so way he's talking, that, no, it's not. The way they're talking, most of their the buyers were for consoles, not for PC. Yeah, well, they should have delivered a better version of it on the consoles then, because if they're taking this, if they're saying their target audience is now on the console instead of on the PC, that that that's it's kind of a doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But they uh, Laidlaw did come back because this uh, came to us through the official forums with a forum post 
responding to the fans' uh, fears and how he says that the toolkit they're using in Dragon Age 2 currently it is very similar to the tool set that the fans have from Dragon Age Origins. And they're looking into possibly updating that old toolkit to still work with Dragon Age 2. And then how he also says that while it's not the full completely zoomed out isometric camera that we saw in Dragon Age Origins on PC, there's still going to be a lot of control capabilities to the camera system in Dragon Age 2. You can still pause and move the camera wherever you want for a good tactical view. Now, how how much of this is actually going to happen or is he just telling the fans what they want to hear? Because a lot of it is a direct contradiction of what he said in that magazine interview. So we're really just like I was a little apprehensive about the changes coming to the console version. And now that I've seen how that's going to work out, I'm mo- I'm kind of pleased with it. We're really going to have to wait and see until there's a playable version of the PC side of the game to see really see how much of a difference it is and how much it detracts from the original gameplay. See, I'm not pleased with this at all. I think that's I think it's terrible. And the the argument that it's expensive, yeah, but you did it the first time. You developed the game properly for uh, okay, properly is loosely termed. You developed the game for both PC as well as for consoles the first time around. You spent the money, you took the time to do it. This feels like it's being rushed out. You can't tell me that you don't feel like Dragon Age Origins 2 is being rushed out. Like, I mean, holy crap, this is coming oh, pretty yeah, soon. Oh, yeah. So it obviously is. it's a money grab at this point just to get something out. Now, something that we found out as well, too, is that actually Dragon Age has become the IP that is making more money for Bioware than anything else. It's actually making more money for them than even Mass Effect. So it would stand to reason that they want to try to get as much money as they can as soon as possible, especially considering how much money they're sinking into the Old Republic as well. So just let's just shoot out something for Dragon Age Origins 2 as soon as possible while people are still really interested. But because they're rushing it out so much, we're going to screw around and not make it quite as detailed, give you as much flexibility in terms of play style, blah, 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 and just rush it out with a game engine that we already know have developed and everything because we've used it for Mass Effect already. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think they spent, what, six years-ish making the first Dragon Age Origins? And they spent a lot of time developing that and making a solid game with the intent on putting it on multiple systems. I mean, what they did is they developed it for the PC with more robust tools. And then they trimmed some of those tool da- tools down to put them on the console. And I can tell you, and, and I don't know if Vince has played for both. I don't know if you have or haven't. But when I was playing for the, P- the, the PC version versus playing on the Xbox, the PC version was infinitely preferable to me, preferable to me just because of the level of control. Whereas with the Xbox version, I felt like it just run through the game not have to worry about a goddamn thing and just hack and slash my way through which is exactly how i felt with mass effect on the console you know so i mean they they go from spending all this time creating a fantastic game you know six years uh, to to spending how long now putting out the second version so yeah i don't know See, that's the thing, too. If you're going to spend that much time developing an engine that works and works very well and people didn't care that it wasn't the most perfect of you know graphics, it was still very good. You've got that engine in the bank. Use it. Use it for mm-hmm. two. Why not? You developed it. You worked it. It's still good enough at least for one more uh, sequel. Yeah, I tend to well, agree. Yeah, with, with the Xbox version, the, it, it wasn't a pure simple because it still had the same... Uh, pseudo 
turn-based style. So it wasn't a pure hack and slash. A lot of the difficulty came from the lack of control that you guys experienced on the PC because that, that's where I really felt uh, – most of the difficulty came from on the 360 was I could not control my party in the way I wanted them to. But the, the main issue I had in it with the 360 version, like the, 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 the funky controls and all that I could get past because it was still a fun game with great characters and a great story. It just looked like ass. I don't know how you can have a game that was developed for PC that actually looks better on the PS3 than it does on the 360. That, that, that just was really weird and really awkward. I actually didn't play either of the console versions, so I'd, I'd, I'd heard enough that I stayed clear the f- away from it, and I played with the PC because the PC version rocked. It was everything that I wanted it to be. It was it, it was fantastic, so I, I, I never even bothered with the console versions. But now, it's not going to matter which one you play on anyways. It's going to be all the same goddamn thing. Yeah! I'm really not happy about this. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not either. I mean, I'll still play it because I kind of I, I the story intrigues me, but everything else is kind of meh. So I'm probably gonna wait, and I'll probably wait for it to go on sale, like massively on sale, and then I'll pick it up. Yeah. Uh, what else did we find out? We found out this week that finally, and see, you have to whenever there's Mac gaming news, you have to put it in a podcast or in the news because it's not often enough. So you have to put it in there. Uh, Lego Universe for the closed beta is actually out on the, the on Mac right now, which means that once Lego Universe does come out, you'll be able to play it on your Mac as well as your PC. Now I'm actually still in that beta, and. My son and I are still having a blast in that beta. It is still a lot of fun. So I was actually really happy to see that the that this is on Mac. I actually downloaded it, installed it. I'm ready for tomorrow because tomorrow is the window opens for a few days and I'll be in there with my son playing. So, yeah, no, I was very happy to see this. And you guys aren't in the beta, so you can give a rat's ass. But it's cool. That's all I need well, no, to say. I'm, 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 I want to see more hybrid games. I want to see more games that are developed for both systems. So, I mean, I have a Mac. I have a PC. I game on both of them. I mean, one of right now, one of my biggest frustrations is Steam uh, slowly converting titles. Slowly? Over to be a slowly? Painfully slowly. Painfully slowly. Oh, my like, God. Let's, let's go with you know, Dragon <laughs> Age and Mass Effect as perfect examples. Um, you know, I want to install these things on my laptop so that when I feel like sitting in the living room where it's cooler than in my room, I can still game with them. Or if, or if I want to go to a friend's house and, you know, we want to break open Mass Effect and, you know, compare, you know, our shepherds, uh, you know, whatever the case is, I, I want to be able to do that because my laptop is a Mac. And but I can't I can't do that yet while they are slowly, slowly, painfully crawling over glass, slowly converting these games over or better yet, just making them available you know then you start looking at things like lego universe and it's ready out of the box right out of the box imagine that you know and and that's something that we've been seeing with starcraft and every game that blizzard develops that these hybrid these hybrid discs are well so i mean it's just i i want to see more of that and this makes me really happy because i want to play lego universe i will freely admit it i want to build ridiculous amounts of shit so oh it's awesome it and is, I want to be able to do it on both systems, damn it. Yes, it is freaking awesome. It is a blast. Um, let's stick with Valve and talk about two, uh, Steam Fortress 2. We also found out that they're working on yet another patch. Now, they just put out the last patch, which was for the last class update for the engineering, which was monstrous. 
this is what I love. This reminds me very much of Burnout Paradise that kept putting out freaking patches time and time and time again, supporting this game forever. Team Fortress 2 is the same thing. And for anybody who is still playing, well, odds are you're still playing because it's still a blast. I was literally in game today playing with my youngest because I bought him Team Fortress 2 for his own Steam account and I have mine so we are actually we were playing today and we were having a blast Team Fortress 2 is still so much fun and now they're putting out they're working on this other patch that is going to introduce a lot of different things, including a bunch of different items that were created by the community that they're going to tweak to, to fit in. But also they're going to be introducing um, trading. So you're going to be able to trade items that you have, which means I'm probably going to have to give my son all the items he won on my account <laughs> to him on his new account. <laughs> but, uh, but it kills me again that this game is not dying. Like, they're still supporting it, and it's got to still be selling. They, periodically, it goes on sale, and it's still so much goddamn fun to bounce into that game. In terms of a first-person shooter, there are very few games that I will put ahead of Team Fortress 2 if I just feel like bouncing in and having fun. I would agree with you. And Team Fortress 2 does that. It's just... It has staying power. Let's be honest. Uh, years from now, we're we're still going to be you know randomly popping into to Team Fortress Two if Team Fortress Three isn't out by then. You know we're going to have a lot of fun with it and to see updates constantly coming out for it. I'm okay with that and I like it. I like seeing uh, the life of a game being drawn out. Um, you know, not just saying okay, it's done. We're let's move on to the next project. Saying no, Team Fortress Two was actually a really good IP. We had a lot of fun with it. Players are still playing and having a lot of fun with it. Fuck it, let's keep going. You know, I like seeing that. And it's something we really haven't seen outside of maybe Diablo 2. Yeah, really. <laughs> okay, last bit of news for this week. And this is a throwback. Now, I didn't even talk to you boys to see whether or not you played this back in the day. But I remember Battle when chess. it came out. And it was one of those games that I absolutely adored. Now, granted, you didn't have the queen with the massive cleavage back in the day, or maybe you did, but it was so pixely you couldn't tell. But they're coming back out again with a battle versus chess, which is due to be coming out in, what's the date here we're looking at? September? No, October 5th. I'm going to buy it. I swear yeah. to God, it looks freaking awesome. Now, some people like to bitch and say that it is insulting to people who really like chess and both of you guys know having read my work how much i love playing chess okay. i i grew up playing chess with my old man i love playing chess now i actually have books on different matches between the big wigs and have followed them through on my chessboard and and played through so i take chess fairly seriously i love playing chess but I love this game. I always have loved it. And I love the fact that they've got a variety of different modes that you can play, games that you can play that are, though chess-inspired, so far removed from chess that it's just, you feel comfortable in that environment, that it's a chess game. But you're doing all manner of shit that is definitely not chess. And this looks like it's going to be, the, again, they took an idea, an IP, the Battle vs. Chess, that was... I mean, that's old. We're, we're talking quite a while back that the original came out and they really ran with this ball. Like it looks phenomenal. And I love the different game modes that they're introducing. I am a chess freak. 
All right. I was president of the chess club in <laughs> high school. I was captain of the chess team. I have my my trophy from winning the championship with my with my guys sitting in my in my room. You know, I love chess. I am an absolute total geek when it comes to that. This makes me happy. This makes me really happy. Battle chess was one of the the best games I ever played on any any PC anywhere at any given point in time. I used to take my free periods when I was in, you know, grade school <laughs> and sneak to the computer lab and play it because I didn't have a computer at home at the time. You know, it was just it was that much fun. And you also got to keep in mind, like, yeah, there's some chess purists, these these snooty nerds that, you know, look at this and are like, this is not chess. And then you have the rest of us who are geeks that play chess and they're like, fuck, yeah, this is chess. And, you know, they get really excited about it because at the heart we are geeks. We love Flash. We love combat. We love medieval shit. We love angels blasting the shit out of goblins. We love that stuff. And we love chess. Combine the two and it's a recipe for win. And I honestly can't wait to get my hands on this. And if there's a, a, a multiplayer facet to it, which I, I don't remember if I saw it in there or not. Yeah. But you yeah, there is. Your, you bet your damn ass that I will oh. be challenging like Roger to matches with battle versus chess. Just having an absolute ball at, you know, whatever time we decide to do it. I will be in there all the freaking time to play because not only is it going to be something that, again, if, if you want to play your pure, purest mode, you can, but also it's going to encourage a lot of other people who are not huge chess fans to actually want to play. And that's something that I've come up against a lot of times where in a lot of people, it, it, it's they can't get behind chess. They can't they can't understand it. It's not thrilling enough for them or whatever. I mean, when you're comparing chess to a game of Mass Effect 2 kind of thing, well, it's not quite as gripping. But if it's something that you grew up with and you grew up having that appreciation of the game, then it can be. So any kind of thing like this that can encourage people to play to me is a win-win scenario. Well, we live in an age of sensationalism. That's what happens. Sorry, go ahead, Vince. Uh, it's it's the guitar hero factor. I mean, how many, you know, 12 year old kids are listening to Kansas or Leonard Skinner before Guitar Hero came out? And now they are because it's opened them up to this whole new range of things they'd never experienced before. And I mean, let's face it, kids these days don't really play chess. I mean, yeah, there are some, but, you know, it, not as many as in years past because as digital entertainment has become more and more prominent, that's where the kids are going. So, yeah, anything that can get somebody interested in something new, I bring it. Because I think some of these new game modes are really cool, like the one where you can place your pieces how you want prior, develop your own strategies on top oh, of that. Yeah. Yep. Or, or the That's one that awesome. plays on, like, Risk. <laughs> yeah. That one is freaking awesome. Like Now, yeah, I think they might have gone a little too far with some of the game modes. The one that plays out like a freaking fighting game I could do without, but... But it's something as, that's there that is going yeah, to be, you exactly. know what, you, you feel like doing something different? A case in point, Joe and I are playing, we've played three nights in a row to finish off an epic freaking match. And then we just want to unwind and just have fun and laugh in that same environment? Oh, bring it. I th yeah. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, well, I could do without it. Maybe there's a whole other audience they're going to tap into that then, you know, maybe one day they're like, hey, what's this normal mode? And yeah. <laughs> there you go. One thing I will say I really liked about it, if you look at the images, um, the uh, even though they're these fantastic, the fantastical queen? pieces like knights and, and goblins and things like that, you notice there's little iconographies on their armor to show what piece they are. Like the goblins have the <laughs> little uh, pawn hanging off the side of them while the pawn symbols on the shield for the footman. And the queen's got the queen uh, halo 
uh, or the queen's symbol as the halo, things like that. I thought that was absolutely hysterical. And I love the, and I mean, had you told me that part of what you will love about this new battle versus chess will be the environment. I would have laughed. I would have said, "Eh, I don't know about that. Look at some of these environment that they're tossing the game in with the, the lush backgrounds, the, the forest backgrounds, tropical forest, or like this one that looks like it's right out of freaking iron forge with the molten lava coming down around the pieces. It really kind of sinks you into that, that atmosphere, that, that being, it's it's making chess feel epic which come on i mean that's kind of hard to do especially in a video yeah. game but it's making it feel like you're in an epic environment and that your fight actually matters so yeah there it's i'm i'm buying it day one i'm buying it i again <laughs> my one freaking con- thing that i i wish it was coming out for the the ipad it's not it's not coming out for any mobile devices they <laughs> said well it's not coming out for phones it said it's coming out for the ds and the psp but i'm buying that crap i want it on the ipad people make it happen all right with that we're going to call it a wrap don't forget to check out episode 48 of for the lore which is going to be our sister podcast we're going to be talking about bioshock infinite as well as batman arkham city Now, one of the interesting things about Arkham City is we've been reading more about what Rocksteady is planning with Arkham City and how they feel they've grown since Arkham Asylum. I'm assuming you boys read a lot of these quotes, right? Yes. (laughs) He says excitedly. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lot of what we're reading here, and it is pretty much what we expected. I mean, the company is growing and they're willing to take more chances, but not that many chances that they're straying too far away from the IP either. Joe, anything to add? Uh, this is going to be a long conversation. Do you want me to do it now or do you want me to do it for the show? Well, okay, well <laughs> we're going into it later for the actual lore aspects of that. But it's just in terms of what we can expect, in terms of how the company has grown and what the boundaries are willing to push with Arkham City versus Arkham Asylum. I think that we are going to be in for a treat. I think that the way that there there were the what they're putting into this game, the amount of time that they're putting into it, uh, what they're what they're investing in the actual development of the game is huge. And I think that the scope that they want to take on with this game is going to be the the biggest thing that sells huge. it over anything else. The scope is huge. huge. I mean, uh, talking about like you know having hidden characters. Um, you know, things like that, talking about how you get to meet some of these characters that were just talked about uh, in the original in the original game and to see how the political climate of the world changes as well and to give it that much attention. I mean, let, let's 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 be, let's be honest here. Batman was always a creature that worked outside of the political the political scene as much as possible because he's a fucking vigilante. Well, they're taking that and they're they're taking those concepts and they're growing them and they're growing them in this game to such an extent that it's going to be an epic event. I'm not even going to call it a game. It's going to be another event. <laughs> Batman Arkham Asylum was it was a gaming event. It was nine hours of pure bliss. Yes, it was short, but you can't tell me you didn't go back and replay that game after you beat it and just absolutely still fell in love with it because I know I did and it wasn't just because I'm a comic nerd. It was a fucking great game. It was tight. The controls were fantastic and the gameplay was phenomenal. So you're talking about, you know, doing this on a grander scale 
with more characters. Like, I mean, look at look at one of the first the first pictures we see. What are you doing? No, no, no. We're talking about that next episode. <laughs> see, see, I, 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 see I told you. Right. Okay, we're cutting it off Two there. Paraphrase. Bigger, badder, deeper, everything you want a sequel to be. Harder, right. stronger, longer. That's what she said. Uh, All right, we're cutting it off at that. Make sure to check out the 48th episode of For the Lore, which will soon be called Bow Down to Us, the Lore Edition. But with that, we're going to call it a wrap for Bow Down to Us Games, and we will talk to you guys next week. So it was Tart who edited that in. Was it really? It says, <laughs> me, Vince, and Tart. Damn that Tart. I know she's listening. Tart! God damn it. You put, you put shit in the show notes at least, you know, morning, afternoon at worst, but not at the last minute. Shame on you. Only Roger's allowed to do that. Basically, yes. <laughs> Let's be very clear. <laughs> and like, we care about the Force Unleashed. Who cares about the Force Unleashed? It's a piece of poop. I got nothing. It's a number two. Yeah, it's, it's number two for... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what? She's never going to add anything in anymore. <laughs> Fine! Be that way, you big meanie! Get all girly and cry on us. Like Rick did. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, I've never cried on Mike. You can you always tell of. when you have been. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> I missed you. Yeah, I'm down for anything. Okay, and I mean that. You mean that in every possible way. <laughs> if the drive to your place was not that long, I'd test you on that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apparently, I should just not even treat you guys as equals and just tell you to shut up and do what I tell you to do. <laughs> Wait a minute, asking for your opinion yes, is, is is unwise. <laughs> Who the hell? Why? Why would? Why should I bother? You know, by the time I finally get the game, all of these guides are going to be out on how to play it. I'll be like wiping the floor with everybody. Actually, I won't. I'll die often. <laughs>